as we walk through this, the application behind this, the truth behind this text, the truth behind this book and what it says to us and speaks to us in 2019 is incredibly relevant. But it's important that we get our language correct before we get started. We learned this last week. If you go to chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, who writes this book, he addresses the recipients, it's a letter, he addresses the recipients as exiles. And when we think of the word exiles, we typically think of people who have been exiled from their country, correct? Now, I want you to understand this is metaphorical. Exiles in 1 Peter are talking about Christians, people who come to know Christ and their citizenship is in heaven. Does that make sense? So if you know Jesus living on planet earth, you're an exile, which means we're swimming upstream. And the point behind this book is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. The theme of the whole book and really what we're talking about for the remainder of this series is that in spite of swimming upstream, in spite of suffering, in spite of all these things that we deal with, God calls us to be fortified in our faith by trusting Him and number two, doing what He says. And so as we study this, and specifically this morning, We'll talk about different principles about fortifying our faith and how we're to do that because it shouldn't be surprised if life is different if you know Jesus. You need to know that. Not different in the sense that, hey, man, I get to have joy, I get to have security, I have assurance, I have all these things, which is incredibly important and true. But to live a life for Christ means there are difficult decisions you need need to be made, right? Culture shifts, changes in way of thinking, changes in attitudes, changes in what we do and what we say. And that's incredibly challenging for us. That's why it's important we learn what it means to fortify, to trust God, and to do what He says in those instances. Now, as we investigate this morning, I want to kind of give you an overview of just a few words here as we begin. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Get this. He, makes it, he starts out by starting a, what we call a run-on sentence. Now, I had Miss, Miss Adams and Miss Grayson in high school grammar and literature, and they would not approve. However, they didn't live, at least I, I don't think they did, they didn't live thousands of years ago, okay? And a run-on sentence in this context is perfectly normal, perfectly fine. And so when you see periods and exclamation part, uh, points and things like that, I want you to keep in mind that from verse 3 to verse 9, that's one entire sentence. In fact, we could dub this a prayer. He starts out by saying this in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now stop here. I want you to be mindful of something. Simon Peter grew up Jewish. He was a Jew- Jewish kid. He made sure he went to school, understood the entirety of the Old Testament, was in synagogue every week. And when Jesus called him, he was a good Jewish boy. He came to know Christ. He's writing this letter to those who were Gentiles who came to know Jesus, but he can't get the Old Testament out of him, and he, nor he should. You and I need to understand that every word in the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, breathes the word or the name Jesus. You get that? But interestingly enough, what we see here in verse 3 is very Jewish because he says, notice what it says again in verse 3, praise be to, the, to, be to God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what he's saying here literally is, bless God. And in the Jewish culture, there are 18 prayers or 18 benedictions that are very typical when you pray. And they all start out with, guess what? Bless God. You see that? Or praise be to the God and Father. And so understand that he begins this whole letter by praying. So I want to ask this question, how do you pray? How do I pray? One thing I believe all human beings have in common is we all pray, right? I mean, we pray all the time. We've always prayed. 
I mean, one of the popular sayings, there is no atheist in foxholes, right? One of my history teachers, Coach Head, used to have on his wall as a bumper sticker or a sign next to the chalkboard, and it said, as long as there are tests, there will always be what? Prayer in schools. That is true. We all pray. Now, those prayers range from biblical to biblical, right? But we all pray. I mean, we pray simple prayers. My, my, my nieces and nephews, all of them are under five years old right now, and when we have an extended family gathering, they all go to preschool, Christian preschool, and we'll look at it and say, Allie, Anna, one of you guys want to pray? And they'll say, yeah. And they all put their hands together, and they say, God, our Father, God, our None of us are adults are praying because we're just enjoying the cuteness in those moments. But that's one way to pray. Some of you are going to have lunch afterward or dinner tonight, and you say the blessing at every meal, correct? Now, some of you, it's as simple, Lord, my, my grandmother, she says, Lord, bless us in dinner. That's all she said. Lord, bless us in supper. That's all she said. Lord, bless us in breakfast. That's all. I believe in short prayers at dinner and anytime you eat because I don't catch up in my prayer time then because I'm hungry. You get me on that? Some of you are going to sit down and say, bless the floor, uh, bless, bless the food, bless the meat, thank you, Lord, and what? Let's eat. That's what you do. Some of us, in our prayer, we've learned things like Ricky Bobby praying. You know what I'm talking about, right? Sweet little Jesus boy, please, you know, whatever it may be. We have silly prayers. You've prayed those, correct? You've prayed some silly prayers. Let's be real with each other. How many of you guys, for your favorite sports team, just say, God, please, please let them score. I'll be at church Sunday. Maybe, you know. We've prayed desperate prayers, have we not? God, heal. God, take this pain away. God, relieve me of this frustration. George Patton, military genius and general, general during World War II, he wanted to defeat the Nazis so bad that he had his chaplain develop a weather prayer. Think about that for a moment. So the chaplain wrote out a prayer asking God to give them good weather, weather so they could kill Nazis. There are people that pray those kind of prayers. Prayer is a part of life. You ever want to make somebody feel uncomfortable? Ask them to pray. I had you stand up and say, would you stand up and pray? The thing that you would do more than anything is dig a hole and bury yourself, correct? It might be at Thanksgiving, maybe in a life group setting. Man, you could be the most extroverted person there, but you could say, hey, would you pray for us right now? Would somebody pray for us right now? And the thing you want to do more than anything else is become a snail and duck inside. Agreed? But prayer is a part of your journey if you want to fortify your life. You follow me on that? But the thing is, when we think about prayer, most of us think about prayer as what we're asking for because we're good at that stuff. God, give me this. And we see Jesus as a genie in a bottle. If I ask him or do the right things or say the right types of phrases in the right order, I'm going to get what my heart desires. That ain't the truth, is it? I've been praying for 42 years that God would make me a millionaire. It hadn't happened. Prayer is important, but I want you to write this down. Prayer is more about affirmation and acknowledgement than it is for you asking. And as we investigate these nine to ten verses this morning, seven verses, excuse me, you'll see that all the acknowledgement and all the affirmation, it's all about fortifying our faith. You all with me on that? So let's kind of investigate what that looks like. Notice what happens here. Chapter, three, chapter 1, verse 3, get what it says here. Praise be to God the Father, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice what he says. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into the inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you 
who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. Now stop there. We're going to go back through all that. I read it fast and I did that on purpose. But I want you to understand something. If we begin to fortify our faith, we have to speak big or speak well of God and praise Him. You need to understand that. Fortifying your faith, living out your faith, begins with us saying, God, you're big, I'm small. God, you're mighty, I'm not. God, you can do things. I worship you because you are you. You are worthy of it. And that begins to fortify your faith. Now, notice what happens here. Go back to verse 3. He begins by saying this blessing, which means I worship or I praise him. And he goes in and says, we praise God, the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, because of, you see this, in his great mercy. Now, stop there. Mercy is a wonderful word, and it's something we all want to experience. Agreed? Mercy is something we may not deserve. But mercy is something that God gives you. You don't earn. And specifically speaking, God demonstrates mercy for you and I by giving us an opportunity to know Jesus. Now this is an affirmation or an acknowledgement of who God is. When we speak big of God, when we praise God, we begin with a mindset saying, Lord, I don't deserve this. You've done this for me. You get that? There is a profound difference between mercy and grace. I want you to get that too. Grace is your salvation. It's something you cannot earn, you cannot buy, you shouldn't have, but you get it anyway. Mercy is something all humanity gets. Let me give you an example. Everybody take a deep breath. One, two, three. Hey, that's mercy. You didn't deserve that breath. But every human being gets it, right? But understand, let's go back to the verse there. Because of God's great mercy through Jesus Christ, what he does for us, notice what it says next, he has given us new birth. Now understand this. That's the phrase we get, born again. You've heard that phrase before, right? But literally what we get here is second chances. And what God provides for us, and the reason we praise him, is that through his mercy, you get a second chance through Jesus. Is that cool? Now, where I'm at in my walk with Jesus is that I want you to understand something about your pastor. I have a dump truck load of issues and problems and sins, and I continue to add to it every day. Do y'all? But here's what's fascinating about this. God's great mercy comes into our life, and he gives you a second chance through Jesus. Do you see that? What better reason to worship God than that? As we represented in baptism with Katie and Braden just a few minutes ago, God's mercy in their life and represented in baptism gives them new birth. Isn't that good? And when you know Christ, that happens to you. But even more so, read the verse a little bit further here. Get what he's saying. Not only is he worshiping God because of his great mercy and the new birth that we have, get this, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now this is important. I want you to pause here. It's a new mercy, and it's eternal life. Now, the reason we separate those a little bit is because I want you to understand something. If Jesus is not alive, if you're a Christian, your faith, your faith is void. You get that? Christ has to be alive for this whole thing to work. Scripture tells us and experiences as well that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment we deserve for the things we do wrong. When we acknowledge that, we're forgiven. He's paid the price. That's new birth. But more than that, it extends into his resurrection. He rises from the dead to conquer sin and death. You follow me on that? 
And so what God has done here through the person of Jesus Christ, and this is the reason we praise him, and this fortifies our faith, because it's not about us. It's not about what we've done to earn this. This is what God's doing. Great mercy, second chances, live forever. Isn't that good? Let me say that again, because you need to get fired up. New mercies, second chances for you pitiful, nasty sinners. Y'all, and me, all of us, and you live forever. Isn't that good? That's the gospel. And regardless of where you are in your life, what fortifies you is the gospel. It's Jesus. But there's more. It's so good. This is the rich, rich text here. Keep on going. Verse 4. Actually, start in verse 3. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And get this. And there's more? Yeah! You get to live again. You get new mercies. You get to live forever. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Who? Through faith, get this, are shielded by God's what? Power. Oh, this is good. Now we're probably, ah, oh man, it's fire. It's, mm, yeah, right, we'll wait. Here we go. Until the coming of salvation that has already been revealed in this last time. Now let's go back to verse 4. Notice what he's saying here. You get new mercies. You follow me on this? When you know Jesus. You get second chances, infinite chances, when you what? Know Jesus. You get new life forever when you what? Church? Now, I done told y'all before. Anytime anybody answers your question in church, the right answer is always Jesus. So let's, like, let's say that again. You get to live forever because of what? There you go. So you got it. But then, get this in verse 4. Goes, and you get an inheritance that won't perish, that won't spoil, and won't fade. That means you get rewarded and you don't deserve it. This is a win, 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 win. You get that? No wonder you should speak well of God. But I want to camp out here just for a second because there's an assurance that goes with this or a security that goes with this. Let's go back to verse 5 here for a moment. Because all of this, this new mercy, this, this um, new life, this uh, second chance, this inheritance, notice what happens here. It says, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Now, I want you to get this. There's an unbiblical thing. I believe it's heresy. I'm just going to be straight up with you because if you heard this preaching, you believe this preaching, not only you're wrong, you're way outside of biblical context here. But get this, there's this idea that you can lose your salvation. That is hogwash. That is unbiblical. That is wrong. That is heresy. You run away from it. You feel me on this? Because of why? Your salvation, going back to verse 3, get this. Notice what it said. It's by from who? Jesus. It's by who? Jesus. It's in who? Jesus. It's shielded by who? Jesus. You get that? There's assurance there. It is shielded by God's power. And guess what? When you're praying into that, it fortifies you. You see that? God is big enough to hold your salvation in place because you and I aren't. God is big enough to forgive. God is big enough to give you second chances. God is big enough to change your culture, to change your mind. Because we can't. His mercies are new. And our assurance and security is forever. You follow me on that? So we fortify our faith by speaking well of him or praising him. Now, a little, little more here. We're just getting started. Verse 6. We're going to camp out a little longer here. In all this, now stop here. Take your time, when you, by the way, take your time when you read Scripture, okay? Focus in on every word. 
There's a many of you in this room, and I commend you for this. You started the new year, and you're like, I'm going to read the Bible through, right? Any of y'all try to do that? You don't have to raise your hands. I think it's great, okay? And I think you should do things like that. But some of you are going to get to Leviticus, and you're going to be like, nope, done, right? Some of you are already there. I love my brother tweeted this about, I think, January 2nd. He said, still on the whole Bible reading plan, 100% so far. You know, <laughs> I love that. January 5th, 6th, it just kind of falls off the wagon, right? But here's the thing. When you're reading Scripture, take small bites and chew on it, okay? That's what we're doing this morning. So I want you to skip over this. Verse 6, in all this, meaning all your salvation, all that Christ has done, you greatly, go back to verse 6, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let's stop here because here's part two to this whole thought process. And it's simply this. You fortify your faith by thanking God. This is another affirmation and acknowledgement. You see this? You praise God. You thank God. Go back to verse, let's go back to verse 6. Notice what it says here. Look at the screen. In all this you greatly rejoice. To rejoice means you are thankful. And all of us are joyful when we are thankful. Agreed? But here's what's happening. He's saying in all of this you rejoice. In all of this salvation, but it also bridges the gap to the next thought. Go back to verse 6. In all of the suffering that you deal with. Now, let's pause here for a moment. Because what Peter is saying is that we can take joy and thank God during trials. Now, there's a couple of thoughts here on this. And I, I want to I leave the verse on the screen to pick it out for you for a moment. The first one is this. It says, though for a little while. Now, let's stop here. And I, what I want to do is I want to start at the very basic to the most extreme. Are you all with me on that? Everybody suffers. Everybody deals with pain. But he's saying that pain is not forever. It's for a little while. Now, let me, let me, let me kind of help you understand. Some of us in this room, many of us in the room, we've, we've run our hand across a wooden table or something like that and gotten a splinter, right? Hurts for a little while. You pull it out. Hopefully it will heal quickly, right? Maybe you've got up in the middle of the night or got up this morning and you stumped your toe on the bedpost. You've done that before, right? Terrible way to start the day. <laughs> but that's just for a moment. But then those afflictions physically can happen for a lifetime or for a longer period of time. And it may end up where it takes your life. That's the extreme. Let's get a little deeper. There's emotional pain too. Consequential pain because of things we've done wrong, because of what people have done wrong to us. Emotional scars, grief that we're dealing with. Some of it you may get over with. Your feelings were hurt and you got over it, right? Some of us, all of us, have pain and grief that we've dealt with. It lasts a lifetime. It just never goes away. But here's what I want you to understand. In the context of from point A to point B, when you were born to when you die, the Bible says our lives are like vapors. It's, we breathe it out. You know it's cold now. You go take a puff of air. You breathe it out, and it evaporates almost immediately, right? That's your life. And only for a little while will you have to suffer. You get that? Don't, don't bog yourself down. I understand it's hard, I'm, and I'm there too. But there's more to this. We can rejoice in that. And there are various trials in this as well. It's not just one thing. It's not just the suffering because of sin. It's not just the suffering because of what somebody has done wrong to us. It's not just the suffering because of a physical thing. There are various trials. 
Every year in the sports world, there's always some kind of story about some kind of athlete who overcame great odds and then was successful. You know what I'm talking about? He tore his knee up, and he rehabbed it and came back and won the Heisman Trophy. She tore her shoulder up, or she was born into a family that abandoned her, and she was adopted, and she came back and won the gold medalist in gymnastics. There's all types of stories about that, right? And when we hear those stories, it's like, wow, what an extraordinary individual, right? Unbelievable. I love hearing stories like that. One of my favorite stories is a girl named Bethany Hamilton. You heard that name before? Bethany Hamilton, she was an incredible surfer. She was in Hawaii. Um, and, you know, we're in Georgia here, so we don't really think about surfing a whole lot, right? We go to Jekyll Island or St. Simons, and the waves are ripples. But you go to Hawaii, they're really big. I hadn't been there. I've heard, all right? So Bethany's a surfer. She's a class surfer. She's getting ready to compete for the national championship in surfing, and a freak accident happened, and all of a sudden a bull shark came and bit her arm off. Unbelievable story. And for the next two years, she went through the grief and the process and the depression, and she went through rehab, and she got back on her surfboard. In 2005, she won the national championship. That's a cool story, is it not? And when we look at these individuals, we're like, that's an extraordinary thing that could never happen to me. Wrong. Christ in you makes you extraordinary to overcome and push through the suffering. For some of us in this room, to get out of bed is a various trial. Go back to verse 6. You see that? All kinds of trials. To get out of bed this morning, to get dressed, and to get to church, wow, you're here. For some of you to go to work and deal with the culture you deal with and come out not a sinner, wow. To some of you to deal with the people in your life and forgive certain people, unbelievable. Those are the various trials that you have to go through. The sufferings that we experience cannot be highlighted on ESPN. It's highlighted in the Hall of Fame in heaven, okay? But understand what's happening here. Go to verse 7. We go through these things. Go, go to this. I love this. These have come so that there is proven genuineness of your faith. Here's the reality. You're going to hate this reality. But there are two things humanity has in common. All cultures do bad things. Got that? And all people, 100% of us, who've ever been born, suffer. You are not in an isolated position in your suffering. You may feel that way. It does feel that way, right? But all of us suffer. But here's what's so beautiful about this. As a Christian, suffering produces a genuineness of faith. Because it always, notice what happens here. He used the idea or the expression of putting gold and refining it. He says, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire. And what he's saying here is through this fire is proven you know Jesus. Hear me on this. There are a lot of fakers that attend church every Sunday. Suffering always, always demonstrates those who are true. And in the midst of that, joy transcends suffering. We can rejoice and thank God because in our salvation that He has accomplished for us in verses 3 through 5, you remember that? We can thank God because what is various trials is for a short period of time. And in that, we rejoice. Follow me? Charles Kingsley said this, and I love this quote. He says, pain isn't evil unless it conquers you. 
that good? He was a clergyman in England in the 1800s. So therefore rejoice. But there's more to the story. Verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's the deal. What we've talked about so far is we fortify ourselves through prayer by acknowledging and affirming who God is and what he does so we praise him. We fortify ourselves through prayer, affirming and acknowledging what God has done by thanking him. But we also fortify ourselves by loving him. And this is not a love based upon, man, this feels good, even though that is, that is something we look for, right? I mean, hopefully you have felt loved by God. But this love is more action-oriented. This love is not just simply, hey, I love God, but I'm going to do something with my faith. And I love the words here in verse 8. He says, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. Isn't that good? Why? Come in close. Because you're fortified. And that fortification is not based upon you, exile. It's based upon Christ and what he's done. Go to verse 9. Get this. Notice what he says here. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. And what is that? The salvation of your what? Souls. You see how beautiful this is? Your fortification is not you. It's not what you can build into. It's by what you affirm and acknowledge. And it's the power of Jesus working in your life. But, but, but some of you are saying, Chip, I get this. I understand what you're saying. I've got these new mercies. I've got this new life. I've got this second chance. I've got all this assurance. I can rejoice during suffering. And I can love God because it's being fulfilled. But here's the deal. I'm in so much pain. Or I have so much doubt. Or I don't know what my purpose is. It could be a, there's a million ors, right? There was a girl, a guy, you remember growing up doing this, maybe in the second, first grade, you'd write a love letter to some girl or a guy across the, across the row, and you write it down and says, do you love me? Check yes or no. Y'all remember doing that kind of stuff? And uh, I, I, I remember doing that and check yes or no. And, and, and you fold it up real discreetly, and when the teacher's back was the wall, you pass it over, and your best friend passed it over to another guy. They passed it to a girl. She finally got it, and she opens it up. She's scribbling on it, and all of a sudden, and she folds it back up and passes it back to you, and she circled or. What is that? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Or maybe they made another little box that says maybe, right? You know, maybe, maybe. You write another note, pass it this way this time. You know, whatever. And we got a bunch of maybe or or Christians, right? Maybe. Or, let's understand this. In your or, in your maybe right now, there's a lot of conflict what we just said because you're not feeling the love. You're not feeling the fortification. You're not feeling the assurance. Anybody with me on this? Here's what I want you to understand. Let's go to verse 10. And he begins to outline something here. It's just so interesting. It's kind of a blip in the middle of this entire letter. But I want you to get, he says, concerning this salvation, the, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with greatest care. Now stop. The prophets he's talking about are the guys that wrote the Old Testament. He says, concerning this salvation that you have, these prophets, man, who wrote the Old Testament that said Jesus is coming, 
spoke of this grace, and they searched intently because they wanted it. They want what we have. Isn't that weird? You think about Moses, he wanted what you get. Right? He wanted what you get. Keep reading. Verse 11, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them were pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. And then it was revealed to them, after all this searching, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. 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 These Old Testament prophets, they were serving you. They were serving me. When they spoke of these things, that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And even angels, they look at your salvation and look at my salvation, and they long to look into these things. They don't even get it. I mean, you are worth more than angels. Do you recognize that? But here's what's beautiful, and here's how we're going to wrap this up. And this is what is affirming here, and I can't go too deep in it because I don't have a lot of time. But there are three affirmations we see in this text. Just draw them out real quick. One affirmation is this. All people suffer. You're not alone. Everybody has bad days. I'm not minimizing that. It's just, just truth. All people suffer. You follow me on that? Second affirmation you need to get out of this text is our testimony and what you deal with, what I deal with, is more than just our story. It's his story. You follow me on that? The testimony of these Old Testament prophets, their testimony was for you, for me. Your testimony, even though it's ours, you like about think about how God delivered you. You like to think about how God changed you. But it's not just for you, okay? It's generational. And then the third thing is salvation is here. It's here. Your fortification is here. It's through Jesus. So my question is, as we wrap this up, are you fortified? Are you fortifying yourself by acknowledging all that he's done? I'll give you two action steps tell a story then we'll get out action step number one fortify yourself by practicing what you praise you follow me on that that's the whole point of this text the whole point of this book trust him and do what he says practice what you praise second one fortify yourself and this is a little bit more making your story his story there's two aspects to that one if you're a believer let God activate your faith. Two, if you're searching out whether you need to know Jesus or not, take that step of faith and go back to verse three. Experience new mercies, experience second chances, experience life forever, and be assured in verse five, it is held in God's power. Do you know him? Have you asked him to come into your life? Have you been baptized and made that public? Do you understand that? One of the things, uh, I, I watch one sport, I don't get to, I don't have a lot of time to watch other sports and a lot of hobbies and activities. And, um, but college football is one of the things I love to follow. Um, and as we all know, Clemson Tigers, they won national championship this year. Um, and any national championship team, typically they get invited to the White House and they get a congratulatory dinner. We've all heard that on the news, right? Now, we're not going to go into politics. We don't do that here. We talk Jesus here at River Hills. But... Um, they, uh, they got the congratulatory dinner and all that stuff. And Dabo Sweeney, who is a faithful follower of Christ, got to stand up and make a speech. And as he's speaking about their championship and being honored to be here, all this stuff, he quoted a guy named Tyler Trent. I don't know if you've heard of Tyler. Tyler was a 20-year-old kid, uh, went to Purdue University, was a super fan. But also, when he was 15 years old, he was diagnosed with cancer, a rare bone disorder. 
we're rare bone cancer. Went through three treatments of chemo, three stents, beat it, came back, beat it, came back. And the third one took his life about a month ago. And they talked about him a lot on ESPN because of his optimism, because of he was, you know, always optimistic, always trying to fight. Uh, even Purdue they made him one of their, adopted him as one of their official teammates or, or managers. And uh, his story is just fascinating. And he wanted to be a sports broadcaster or a journalist in the sports world. And a couple of his articles were published, published in the Indianapolis newspaper. And Dabo, in his speech at the White House, he quoted Trent. I thought it would be interesting to quote him this morning. And I, if you all will bear with me for a moment and listen to this quote, I thought it was interesting. Trent says this, or Tyler, Trent Tyler says this. Though I am in hospice care and have to wake up every morning knowing that the day, this day might be my last, I still have a choice to make, to make that day the best it can be. Yet isn't that a choice we all have every day, right? After all, nobody knows the amount of days we all have left. Some can say we are all in hospice to a certain degree. So why don't we act like it? You're in hospice. Act like it. Let your life be something greater than what you are. Let your life fortify itself around what God has done, God is doing, and God will do. You feel me on this? What choice will you make? This morning, some of you don't know Jesus. You need to make that choice to ask Christ to come into your life. Some of you have never been baptized. You need to make that choice. Some of you need to take a step of faith and do as simple as something as like join a life group or serve somewhere. Maybe go ask forgiveness. Maybe just commit to reading Scripture. I don't know what your choice is, but to fortify your faith, you've got to recognize that fortification is built by the Father and is not something passive that you stand behind. It is something you act, you're active and you are participating with. You feel me? So what step are you going to take? On your Connect card, there are several boxes. Check one and we'll collect those as you exit. But let's pray together. Father, we love you. We ask God that we would fortify our faith around the gospel, that it would change us in every way that you'd overwhelm us, and that we would be overcome with the power and the might and the purpose of the gospel. Change us in that. Overwhelm us in that. Strengthen us in that. Lord, we love you, and we ask that in these moments as we worship, as we think, as we pray, and as we seek you, that you would answer. In Jesus' most precious and powerful name we pray. Amen.